Seated. So I really, really, really hate surprises. Surprises really frustrate me, and I, I really would rather l if life was just not full of surprises. If you ask my wife, you can discover quickly that if I can figure out what my Christmas or my birthday present is, I will figure that out. <laughs> well, unfortunate for me, Epiphany is full of surprises. In fact, Epiphany is it means to reveal, and we're in the season of Epiphany, so we are going to be surprised by Jesus and his gospel through stories, frankly, most of us know. But don't let the familiarity of the gospel and the stories of scripture breed contempt or, well, over-familiarity. If you're willing to hear, the word of God is always fresh to those who have ears to hear. So today we look at the surprising revelation and epiphany of the baptism of Jesus. And there we learn who Jesus is, the identity of Jesus, and we learn who we are meant to be, our identity. As Jesus stands in the water of the Jordan, praying right after he was baptized, the heavens break open and the Holy Spirit descends on him, and his identity is declared over him. He knows who he is because his heavenly Father has told him. He is the beloved son. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I would love it if someone just told me who I was and told me what I was supposed to do, and it would just go great from there. But that's, I'm not, you know, the, the subject of this story, so let's move on. What does it mean that, that Jesus is God's beloved son? It means that Jesus is human and, and more than human. It means mysteriously and wonderfully that Jesus is the eternal Son of God the Father. Jesus as the Son means from eternity the infinite God is a God of infinite love. It means that Jesus, the just, Jesus as the Son of God means that God isn't some lonely being who created us because he needs us. It means that God loves us out of his own infinite love. When we confess that God is the Father, and God is the Son. We are saying that at God's heart is the infinite loving relationship of the Father and Son with the Holy Spirit. We all like the idea that God is love. But theologian Michael Reeves says that God is love because God is Trinity. From before anything existed, God is the eternal loving Father who loves his eternal Son, who both love the eternal Holy Spirit. Before creation, before anything existed, was the happy and joyful and endless loving life of God, the Trinity. When God said that Jesus is beloved, he is declaring and reminding Jesus of who he is. And that is all Jesus needs to hear. He is reminded and secured in his identity. He is beloved. That is who he is. And this identity isn't something that he has to create. It isn't something that he manufactures. It isn't something he has to earn. He is simply and eternally the beloved of God the Father. Jesus is the beloved son, and, and this grounds what he does. His identity leads to his mission. 
theolo- in theological terms, the, prote- the son's eternal procession from the father leads to his mission, his temporal mission of saving humanity. And because he is the eternal son of God, it is fitting for him to be the savior of the world. Jesus' being grounds his doing. And well, what does Jesus do? We could see a lot of things that Jesus does. He heals, he brings uh, revelation, he, he, he brings peace, he brings judgment. But let's see what the baptism of Jesus reveals about what his mission is. Now friends, I grew up in the church, and I've always just been a little puzzled by Jesus' baptism. Maybe, maybe you're in the same boat with me. Why in the world did Jesus need to be baptized? If you know anything about Jesus, he at least claimed to be sinless, which means he didn't need to repent or be forgiven, the very thing that this baptism of John was offering. So why did Jesus need to be baptized? Maybe you remember from the Gospel of Matthew that he said to fulfill all righteousness. What the heck does that mean? Jesus didn't need to repent or be forgiven. Rather, he is identifying himself with those who need to be forgiven. He is identifying himself with sinners. And in doing so, he is identifying his mission. As the beloved son of God, Jesus has come to die for sinners and give them life in himself. The fact that Jesus identified with us in his baptism reveals his mission and the father reveals that jesus is his son at this moment because he wants us all to know that the son has come to save us the lost those who need to repent and it reveals the way that this salvation will come later in luke's gospel jesus says this I have a a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, Jesus has already been baptized. We, We just read about that. So what is this baptism he's referring to? We discover as Luke's gospel unfolds, it's the baptism of his death. Jesus correlates, he connects this image of of being put into water and being risen with the image of his dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again. Jesus' baptism points to and foreshadows his death and his resurrection. So in his baptism, Jesus was firmly established in who he was and what he was about. He knew his identity and his end goal. But how many of us can really say that about ourselves? Now, this might uh, might not be true for every generation, and might just be true of my generation, but just to speak from my personal experience, maybe you'll identify with it a little bit. I feel like my identity, my sense of purpose, is always sort of draining out of me like a broken leaky jar. I feel like many days I just sort of have to pick up the pieces and say, well, what are you going to be today? Who are you going to be today? I know I'm a Christian, and I am a husband, and a father, and a pastor, and a priest, but all of these things seem to just sort of fade in the dark glow of fear and failure. Maybe you identify with that. Maybe you'll identify with this image. Identity for me is I kind of uh, imagine trying to put my life together as a puzzle. 
Okay, so I have a big puzzle in front of me, a thousand pieces, and I've lost the puzzle box. <laughs> How infuriating. And that is kind of what trying to figure out my identity feels like. I have all these little pieces in front of me and I need to somehow put them all together and I don't know where it's gonna land me. I don't know what the image is. I don't know the end goal. It's kind of like being told to be true to yourself, but not knowing who and how to do that. I literally Googled be true to yourself to see what other people thought of this and HuffPost told me this. Being true to yourself is a personal choice for truth. Making choices about how to live the life you want to live. You have the total power to live your life any way you want and to be faithful and factual to the truth about you. Being true to yourself means you don't worry about pleasing other people. Living by someone else's standards or rules. You don't care what people think of you. You live as your natural self, without compromise. No one can tell you how to be true to yourself except you and apparently the Huff Post. <laughs> it's a little ironic that I had to literally Google how to be true to myself and have someone else tell me how to be true to myself. But friends, this is the clarion call of our age. And everyone is being, pursuing being true to themselves and Christians are not immune to this. How much of our faith is actually just trying to find the brand of Christianity that fits with our personal preferences, that makes me feel accepted and loved? How much of it is just a brand? Say that aside. Being true to yourself at its core is grounded in the desire to be an individual, a, a loved and loving individual, which, friends, is a good thing. It's an aspect of being created in the image of God. It shows us that at our core, our search for identity is a desire to be loved and accepted. And that's a good desire. But being true to ourselves twists that desire. It corrupts it. It leads to self-obsession, narcissism, pride. And it leads to a life of loneliness. As I try to be true to myself, I, I frantically search for everything from the Huffington Post to whatever else that will give me a sense of stability, a sense of belonging, acceptance, identity. At the heart of my search for identity, at the heart of trying to construct some rule to live by, is this one desire, to be loved and accepted. So I build my puzzle. I look for anything and everything that will make me feel like myself, whoever and whatever that is. Even things I'm not particularly interested in, like football. Now, I'm afraid that I might have offended most everybody in this room, but I've been here long enough, friends. I've been here for over a year. You know I don't watch football. You know that I don't even have a team I follow, except, interestingly, when someone drives through Destin, Florida, with a Steelers logo on the back of their truck. It's usually a truck, interestingly enough, but put that aside. When I see a Steelers logo truck, I all of a sudden become a Steelers fan because I'm super excited that someone else is from Pittsburgh and, and can maybe identify with those four years that I spent in Pittsburgh. Now, friends, 
Another confession. I have never watched a Steelers game in my life. But friends, I didn't even go to a Steelers game when I lived in Pittsburgh. I was there for four years. I mean, come on. But I feel a sense of belonging and identity with people who are Steelers fans because I lived in Pittsburgh. I feel like in some small way, I'm a, I'm a part of their tribe. I belong and I'm known. I literally went to a guy's restaurant. And he had a Steelers bar and I talked for like a half hour with him about Pittsburgh. Never been to a Steelers game. So I falsely identify as a Steelers fan just to feel like I belong. Where else do we go to, to feel like we belong and are accepted? One place we go is our political affiliations, our likes or dislikes as you may have it. Politics, properly speaking, is about humans living together in an orderly way. It's how we function as a society and one way to look at this is the authors of The Coddling of the American Mind, two secular authors put it, is to think about it as, as, as tribes. Humans, humans naturally break out into their tribes. People, you go to the people you agree with, you, or maybe look like, or you feel like them, or you identify with their worldview, or the music they listen to, or whatever political party line they hold. Maybe you just agree on who you hate. But we all like to be in a tribe. And much of the political scene that we are in right now is built around this tribal sense of belonging. Now, it might be reductionistic, because politics do matter, and it's important for us to not just think about this as, as a tribal issue, but so much of what is going on in politics is just about feeling like we're, about, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Identifying with other people who agree with us and alienating those who don't. Much of, of the political scene, or sorry, um, if we don't do that, if we're not there to find a sense of belonging, at least we're finding a sense of mutual hate, which we must admit is frankly disturbing, but something we all participate in. Belonging to our tribe, identifying with a party or a party line, Democrat or Republican, or even those people just don't want to be either, gives us a sense of identity of stability, of belonging. Politics helps me build my identity puzzle, if you will. Now, politics is important, but even more important to our identity in our culture is our sexuality. Friends, I want to just sort of put a caveat here. I'm going to be sharing an example that is a real part of our society that we cannot turn a blind eye or ear to, and it's very sad. So I just want to, like, forewarn you about what's coming. Sexuality is a good core aspect of being human because it connects to our deepest desires to belong and to be accepted. It's a part of being created in the image of God. But in our society, sexual identity has moved from being a core aspect to the core aspect of our identity. My internal sexual preferences has become my identity how I identify is how I belong, how I exist. My pronoun has become my existence. This sadly is playing out in, in frankly, destructive ways in our society. In an article that was featured in the Wall Street Journal, Abigail Schreier talked and writes about 
girls in high school and college who are struggling with anxiety and depression and belonging and acceptance, something we all struggle with. What is the solution that they're going to? Gender transition. This phenomenon is called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And in a blog post where I read this article on rapid onset gender dysphoria, social commentator Rod Dreher quotes from one of his, uh, his commenters who says this from her personal experience. I'm amazed at how prevalent this has rapidly become. The word contagion is apt. In the past few months, two teenage girls of my immediate acquaintance have begun transitioning li to, to living life as a male. A friend of mine who is a mental health counselor to adolescents in our upper middle class community in Chicagoland, used to treat just your run of the mill anxiety, depression, eating disorders. Now she estimates that rapid onset gender dys dysphoria accounts for half her patient load. It's the new answer to the age old teen question, why is my life so hard? Young girls are turning to hormone treatment because they think if they were boys, they would be happy. They would be their true selves. They would be true to themselves. They would be free from anxiety and fear and a lost sense of identity. Friends, I hope you feel deeply both compassion and the other sense of desperation that this example evokes. This, friends, is an extreme example but we can't be blind to how important this is to our culture. Our sense of identity, our sense of belonging, our sense of, of stability and existence has become tied to our sexual identity. We need something more than that. We all want to belong and be accepted. And one final example that I think relates to all of us, again, is this idea of lifestyle identity. In his documentary, it's a brilliant documentary, free on YouTube, The Century of the Self, Adam Curtis traces this, this idea of, of this guy named Edward Bernays. He was, this, uh, he was a marketing expert at, in the 1930s. He thought, this was his idea, he thought that people don't just buy stuff that they need, but will actually buy things that make them feel good, that give them a sense of individuality. And it comes down to the idea of lifestyle. Now, this word is ubiquitous through our society. We talk about it every day. I read in a, in a letter a couple, or this morning, from, my, from an archbishop talking about the Jesus lifestyle. It's just a word that we use. But it actually has an origin. It's, it was used, started in the 1980s, as in relating to this idea of marketing. He argued, Edward Bernays argued, and I think we all know that is true deep down, that we buy stuff not because we need it, but because it constructs our identity. It sets us apart and makes us feel unique. Or it identifies ourselves with others. It helps me identify with my tribe. I am of the REI tribe. I am of the Patagonia tribe. I am of the rock climbing tribe. I am of the intelligentsia tribe. I like reading books, is what I mean. <laughs> we use the things we own to signal to other people who we are and what kind of people we want to be or who we, or who we want to be. My stuff becomes a way of showing how I belong to or make myself feel belong, or make myself feel like I belong. 
It's as simple as football, really. I see a Steelers ticket and I sticker and I feel a sense of belonging with that person. I identify with that lifestyle. I own a boat or I enjoy fishing. And it doesn't even take someone who fishes to feel a camaraderie. I can just see that, com- that uh, Columbia brand that is like the, all the fishermen wear and think, oh, maybe I can like identify with you and connect because you must be a fisherman. <laughs> we all, all we, the things we own, we use to build our sense of self-worth, to build our sense of belonging, to build our identity. We use every aspect of our lives to try to construct our identity so that we can feel like we are loved, that we can feel like we belong, so we can be true to ourselves. How is being true to yourself going? I don't know about you, but being true to myself is exhausting. And frankly, it's impossible. Because I had to go find out what that meant at the HuffPost. And well, it doesn't really work, friends, because we were created to find our identity outside of ourselves in something or someone truly transcendent. I'm a puzzle with no guide. I'm a broken piece of pottery. I'm Humpty Dumpty broken at the bottom of the wall trying to put myself back together. How can I be true to myself when I don't know who I am, when all I feel is true about myself is that I am broken? But thanks be to God, Jesus and his death and resurrection puts us back together and gives us his identity. Jesus was baptized and died for us. When we are baptized, we die with Christ, are raised with him, And we are given his life and united to him. All that he has, his love, his identity, his goodness, his purpose, he gives to us. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. In Jesus, that is your identity. And friends, it is a gift. It isn't something you have to make happen. It isn't something you have to earn or construct or fight for. It is something we accept and something that is declared over us. When we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we are baptized into his death and resurrection, this is who we become. We become beloved, utterly beloved children of the Father. When we see and accept this infinite gift, friends, something else happens. All the things we used to build our identity around, all the lifestyle, all of our sexual identity, all of the politics, everything that made us feel like we belong becomes rubbish in comparison to the identity that Jesus has won for us in his death and resurrection and gives to us in baptism. Friends, the good news of Jesus is truly, truly good news. Under, unlike the idea that I need to be true to myself. That is enslavement. Think about it, friends. The constant fear of failure, gone. The constant pursuit of belonging and being accepted, finished. The constant desire for love, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
All our desires, all our striving, all our wanting is answered in Jesus Christ. At his baptism, Jesus' identity is declared over him. And in Jesus, we discover our identity. We are beloved children of God. But why is it still a struggle? If I'm honest with you, friends, I just wish it was over. I wish the struggle was over. I wish that I could just be fully formed in that identity, that whatever is to come after this beautiful reality of being Christ in me and me in Christ was no longer a struggle. But it is. Friends, the Christian life is not the easy life. But it is a good life. Because in Christ we are becoming who we were created to be. Children of God in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if we are honest with ourselves, Christian and non-Christian life, life is a struggle. Where would you rather struggle towards? What would you rather struggle towards? Christianity is a struggle towards life and communion. And in Christ, you don't have to struggle alone. You have the infinite triune God, your creator and redeemer, on your side, healing you and making you new. The loving Father unites you to Jesus and fills you with the Holy Spirit and speaks over you that you are beloved and in you God is well pleased. That is who you are. That is who I am. And we all need to be reminded of it every day, every hour, every week, every moment. And out of this place of security, of infinite love, God works on our brokenness, on our sin, on our stubbornness, on our complacency, and calls us to repent and believe daily. In Jesus, we are becoming who we are. And it all starts with believing in Christ and being baptized into his identity and joining his body, the church. And today, friends, by God's grace, Alice is being baptized into Christ and his church. Her baptism, friends, is another reminder of our identity. Her baptism preaches the gospel to us. It reminds us that we are all beloved and have purpose if we are in Christ. And it reminds us where we are headed, friends. For as Alice is baptized into Christ's death and raised into Christ's life, we all look towards our heavenly home where we will be at rest with our heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, in the love of God. So friends, let us run with endurance. Let us cast aside every sin and weight that hinders. Let us hold fast to our confession, to Jesus Christ, our sure rock and anchor. Let us cast aside all facades and false identities. Let us put the puzzle away that we may find in Christ our true identity as he clothes us in his love and righteousness. Let us look to him and be joyful. Let us pursue him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Abba Father, we praise you and thank you for your love. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we have our identity and that you are bringing us home. Lord, comfort us, stir us up, strengthen us for this long journey. And may we always remember that we are beloved and beloved. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.